Hello and welcome to Mac Bytes, episode 75. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, boxing crocodiles, G-strings and another shaggy dog story. And indeed, it is the shaggy dog story we are starting with. It was all Gav's fault. Hot on the heels of Gav bringing shame on his entire family. After finding the fish and tips menu, that kept me amused for many happy hours. This week he managed to make it all the worse by sending us a link to a story involving dogs and Clapham Common. A dangerous combination, I thought. Luckily, and um, somewhat surprisingly, there was no mention of George Michael whatsoever. Just as well, really, as it featured a video prominently in the story. It was actually a story about the appearance of a dog vending machine and Clapham Common. <laughs> Seriously cute dogs doing tricks for treats. It was lovely to see. But I did think there's no way Mayer is going to do tricks for food, or indeed anything else. He has staff for that. That would be you two Muppets. Jealous? Moving swiftly on. He means yes. Thought so. We also heard from Kevin as well, who sent us a photo. Did you see that photo? I did see that photo. It could only be described as the biggest pharmacy I've ever seen, or a sign for the biggest pharmacy I've ever seen. Yes, it was um, following up on the vajazzling. Least said about that, the better, I think. When challenged about the size of said pharmacy, Kevin explained, go big or go home. And it was indeed a very big pharmacy. I should put a link to that. But back to the serious stuff. We also heard from Jenna, who was giving me hope for my Windows suffering. Um, she's found, um, what would you call it? A hack, I suppose, mm. to bring back the Windows start menu. I'm pleased about that. I'm lost on Windows. It's called Classic Shell, and you can get it from classicshell.net. So I was thrilled to see that. Thank you very much, Jenna. Within a couple of days, it looked like Microsoft had come to their collective senses. And apparently the next iteration of Windows 8 will bring back the start button. And that there was Hallelujah. a quote from somebody at Microsoft who said, some users may find some benefit in it. I thought, yes, that's like putting an on-off switch on something, isn't it? Some might find it a benefit. So uh, they've come to their senses and um, hopefully it'll be back soon. I must admit, I literally just go into Windows, get into PowerPoint and get out again as fast as possible. I go into Windows, I press the um, what's it key. Oh, is, is there a what's it key now as well? Oh, the, com the command key. And that brings up the start menu, doesn't it? You discovered that. By accident, yes. I was trying to use Alfred at the time. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't end well. Uh, yes. No, I'm suspecting you do the same as me, but with Excel. Yes. In, out, done. Yes. Yes. Well, it's coming back, supposedly. I'm I'm going to end up completely lost because it was there, then it wasn't there, then there was a whole new interface, and now they're letting you boot to the desktop, and now they're bringing the start button back. I'm going to be totally confused, so luckily I don't have to use it that often. <laughs> I think they were trying to be all things to all people, weren't That's they? the trouble. It, Create one interface for everything. It's not going to work. Having said that, you know, Apple are doing the same. Everything's <laughs> going to look like iOS. Oh, I'm not looking forward to that. Anyway, good news on that front, I think. I, I shall let people know when I've actually tried it. Well, I don't do anything in Windows anymore. I don't know if you've tried the file management aspect of it. No. Well, I brought up something that looked like the, Win the Windows Explorer, and um, I was looking for some files, and in the end, I ended up using SkyDrive. It was easier, <laughs> which isn't great, but mind you, after my last little accident with uh, Windows files. But I'm going to leave that. Talking of things I've broken, I had several people asking what I'd done with my calendar when I mentioned breaking it. 
Shall I go into the gory details? Let's go into the gory details. Well, it yeah. could have happened to anybody. It wasn't just me, was it? Well, potentially it wasn't just me. What I had was a shared calendar. I have um, the MacBytes Live calendar, to which you are all subscribed, aren't you? Well, they were until you broke it. Well, it, doesn't, it didn't dis unsubscribe you. Dissubscribe you. Oh, good grief. You've given me the teeth. <laughs> no, no. Yes, they're all subscribed. Anyway, the issues I had, well, for a start, iCloud's not the most robust of cloud services, is it? Master of the understatement there. Yes, quite. Well, the symptom was I had no calendar entries after a certain date, but I was convinced that I had added dates going into the future. So I grabbed uh, my iPad. In fact, I grabbed an old iPad, um, which would probably be iPad 1, and everything was fine on there. The dates I thought should be there were there. So I then grabbed my new iPad and iOS 6. They were missing. So I'm thinking this is not good. So what I found was all the entries were visible in calendar, which is um, iCal as was. And I knew I had not even used Calendar, so I did not put these things in via Calendar. I'd entered them in BusyCal. But when I looked at BusyCal, there was a cutoff point, and after a certain date, there were no events. So despite the fact I'd actually added them in BusyCal, they seemed to disappear into an abyss. But knowing that um, your calendars are now server-based, I thought, well, the thing to do to test it, because they, if they're there in some devices and some services, you know, some apps, and they're not there in others, they've got to be there on the server or they wouldn't appear at all. So I logged in via a browser and everything was there. My problem was, as it was a subscribable calendar, I had no idea what the subscribers were seeing, which was when I dragged you into the whole mess, wasn't it? Yes, it wasn't working for me in BusyCal, but it was fine on iOS. Which was strange, because you weren't on iOS 5, you were on iOS 6, weren't you? Or at least that's what you told me. Yeah, well, I always have to check these things. Mm, what you mean is you were a, a point, a no, 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 no point version behind. Yes. And when you updated... It broke. Ah, so, <laughs> narrowed it down to Apple's fault at that stage, hadn't we? Yes. <laughs> Well, I did some research and um, upshot of that was, uh, best suggestion, delete all the calendars and re-import them. Mm. Or create them from new and then add back each individual event. Not happening. So I started to experiment to find out what exactly was going on. Um, if you imagine I had event one, and let's say that was on the 10th of the month, that was fine. I could see it, I could edit it, it was there, no problems at all. Event two let's say that was the 12th of the month, just wasn't showing in BusyCal. It wasn't showing on my iPad. But the thing was, if I moved event two from the 12th back to the 8th, then event two appeared on all my devices, on all my apps. So wherever event one is, that's the end of the calendar. There are no events after event one showing, no matter how many I put there. So, Sherlock Holmes here surmised there was something odd about event one, but what? So I went into event one, had a good look at the details, didn't seem to be anything different about it. You know, it had um, a time zone, it had a time, it had a duration, everything was there just like normal. But in the details, I think it's called the notes section, 
I'd copied and pasted. Um, I think I'd actually copied it from an email originally. You know, as you do, you get an email yeah. confirming something, you just copy and paste it in. Yeah. What I'd done was I'd copied and pasted it from either an email or a website. So I could have copied it from MapBytes Learning so the details were, were in the event. So I took the notes, copied them out again, put them in a text editor, and then went through them one character at a time. And guess what? What? There were smart quotes in there. You know those horrible things I hate? I do. Yes. Not very smart. Indeed. Apparently, smart quotes are handled differently by each calendar client and, in your case, the point update. So the calendars that didn't like them just truncated the entire calendar. So if I had 100 events after event one, I wasn't seeing any of them. But I, they were there on the server. They were there on certain clients, just not others. So the best plan is to ensure that you don't ever use them. But in this case, you know, I hadn't typed them in. It was inadvertently copied and pasted in. And as I say, it just literally truncates the calendar file. You wouldn't necessarily even know if you used calendar and you'd done that. Everything would look fine to you. But people who are subscribed to your calendar, they're not seeing stuff after a certain date. And you would never know that. So it shouldn't happen, to be honest. It, it really shouldn't. If I add it via BusyCal, the entry just disappears, which means I can't edit it. I can't even see it. So I think the way I'd handle that as a programmer is I'd use a substitution table. If I know that a certain character is going to cause problems, like I know you've done this generating SQL strings, you substitute the bad character for a character that it does understand. Obviously, that's not being done here at any level at all. Mm, bad programming. Hmm. So the upshot was uh, you broke it again. Yes, but I do these things so you don't have to, which I thought was very good of me. Mm. Anyway, moving on. What have we missed since we were last around? Anything important? Um, there was an earnings call, wasn't there? You're never thrilled with earnings calls, though. No, it's like we made some money. Let's move on. Ah, yes. But this time... There was sort of a mention of new kit, wasn't there? Vaguely, I heard it in the background. Yes, it Wasn't was. Really well, it was the autumn, so well, you know, a lot can happen between now and then. Oh, but the coverage it was so annoying. Uh, the BBC had done a piece on it, and they'd got this big picture at the top, and then underneath it was of an iPad, somebody holding an iPad, and underneath it said, um, "You know, they've not released anything new since the original iPad in 2009." Idiots. Well, I don't know about you, but the last time I saw the first iPad, it was 2010. So you'd think they'd at least get the year right. Uh, but apart from that, they, they left the earnings call to the sounds of U2, an elevation. But in the absence of anything about iWork, I thought I still haven't found what I'm looking for was much more appropriate. I think you're right. Mm -hmm, sadly. But the biggest news from it was no WWDC. Actually, no, it's not in WWDC, is it? We're going to have a MacBytes Live to coincide with it, which is rumoured, oh, rumours, for the 10th of June at 6pm UK time. So I thought that was the biggest news of the last, ooh, probably six months. Mm. Mm. And mm. Yes, we'll, be, we'll be putting that on the MacBytes Live calendar without smart quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm getting my wrist slapped for my smart, <laughs> my smart quotes. It wasn't me, I don't use them. Anyway, yes, it'll be on there. So if you're subscribed to the calendar, and if not, you really should be, and it doesn't appear, then let me know. Haven't put it on there yet. We'll do so before the show's out, honest, I promise. And uh, yes, something else I saw that I was actually quite sad about was one-to-one uh, -one and changes to the one-to-one -one service. Have you read this? I've looked at that, yeah. 
they just seem I got one to one I didn't get it with my original Mac I must admit uh, but you didn't have to buy it with a Mac at the time because I got my Mac from Gordon Harwood's in Derby I didn't realize there was an Apple store nearby that's a whole different story but I didn't buy it with it. But once I, I read what it was, I went into the Apple store and I purchased it. And I, from memory, it was £60. Does that ring a bell? I can't remember. I just remember going around Stoke half a dozen times. Well, we don't. That, that is a whole other story. Mike decided to... There was roadworks, wasn't there? And you decided to take a shortcut. I now know Stoke more intimately than is a wise move at all. So, yes, one-to-one. -one. I bought it about two to three months after I got my Mac. And it was a great service. You, you got what since became ProCare and one-to-one. -one, so you got training services included. And it was great. It was really fantastic. I remember pitching up day one, they gave you a one-to-one -one notebook and you had personal time learning your Mac. It was brilliant. I think you taught them more than they taught you in the end. In the end, yes. <laughs> but I did enjoy it. I enjoyed going in there. Um, it was a whole thing, wasn't it? It was like bringing you into to the Mac community. Yeah. And it was a great, great service. I think it was about, because I bought it the second year as well. So after my first year was up, I, I took it on again. I think it was just towards the beginning of that that they changed it radically and they split one-to-one -one off from ProCare. So one-to-one -one was £60 and ProCare was about £60. So in effect, they were doubling the price. And I remember we mentioned that on MacBytes. To be honest, it was still a good deal at the time. I mean, yes, they doubled the price, but you did get a lot for it over the 12 months. And if you didn't want ProCare, then you would you know, you'd still get your one-to-one -one for the same price. Bit of a sharp practice, I thought, you know, doubling it. But, you know, it was you didn't have to buy both halves if you didn't want. And I don't think I did. Uh, I took ProCare until the end of my one-to-one -one, and then I, I didn't take that back on again. But what they've been doing since, I know they've made a few changes to it and I've long since um, not bothered. You have to buy it now with a new Mac, I think. I think that was one of the, the big changes. You can only have it for a year. And the one-to-one -one sessions were no longer really one-to-one -one sessions. They I, obviously demand is too great. And they started putting together sort of um, informal workshops. So you are, in essence, working with other people, which if you think about what it, I mean, to call it one-to-one -one and then it's not. And sometimes people's projects are quite personal to them. You know, what they want to do with their photos isn't necessarily what somebody else wants to do. So I, I thought that was a bit odd. But now... They've hacked more of it. Um, now they're saying that data migration's only available for the first 60 days. It used to be 12 months. Uh, the transfer must be by wire, so no more Wi-Fi transfers. Only with hardware bought with the Mac to, to be installed. So what was happening previously was uh, they would install other hardware. And uh, although staff will now assist with the installation of software, um, you're doing it. They used to actually do it for you, but now they are assisting with it. I'm wondering if people have complained because it seems such a, a subtle change, but, but it's quite a big one if you think about it. You know, if anything goes wrong, it wasn't us. We were only assisting. We weren't doing it. Yeah, I'll take your point. I didn't use any of those services, but I think those services are, are incredibly important to people. For newbies, yeah. yeah the newbies, the switchers. Yeah. And, and to start hacking things off this one-to-one -one service... Just put it out of its misery. If you hack any more off it, there'll be nothing left. 
and I don't think it's doing them any favours. I know if people are switchers today, they won't realise what it used to be like, but even so, they're changing it to such a degree, I'm not actually sure what's left anymore. So in essence, you get 60 days to transfer your stuff and they won't install anything that you haven't bought from the Apple Store. And they're not insist uh, installing the software, they're assisting you in installing it. So however much that is, I think it's still £60, isn't it? It's um, now a hand-holding service and that's it. I thought that was quite sad, actually. It is, it is, compared to, compared to what it used to be, uh, like you say, when you first started. It is. When, you've, when you remember that, then what's left is just a shadow of what it was. Hot on the heels of that was um, some changes about uh, in regard to Apple Care. Did you read that one? Uh, I can't say I did. That was from Apple Insider and um, big changes coming to Apple Care. What they're suggesting, I'll, I'll put a link into the, it's quite a long article, so I'll put a link into the show notes, but the upshot of it is they are adding certain things to it. So telephone support, for example, longer than, than the 90 days that you originally get. But one of the most massive changes, and initially it's rolling out in the States, but then it's going to roll out globally, is that they are no longer just going to swap out phones. So, you know, when you take your phone in, because this happened to you, didn't it? Yeah. Took your phone in with a problem and they don't stand there and try and fix it. They ascertain that, yes, what you're telling them is broken is actually broken. And then they swap you out one that's been um, refurbished, really. So it's an as-new refurb, isn't it? Yes. I can attest to that. I can understand some people preferring to have their own phone. Do you know what I mean? You, you take it in there, it's got your stuff on it, you might be a little bit nervous about taking a brand new one and then you've got to do a restore on it and all that. can understand that. Or it could be that you know, you're quite attached to the phone you've got. Some people probably have them engraved, things like that. I can understand that. But what they do is just swap them out. And the benefit of that is that you get... A certified refurb, which means it has been repaired to a certain standard. What concerned me most about this was that what they're suggesting now is that you take your phone in and there is a range of things. So, you know, the home button isn't working, screen cracked, certain jobs that would need to be done on that, that they will now do in store. So you will get your phone back repaired. It will be your phone, but it will be repaired. And that actually concerned me. Can you guess why? No. <laughs> oh, you think everything you think everything's the same that you know across all the stores the standard would be the same because I don't. Um, no, I guess um with I'm with, thinking with, the Trafford Centre. Yes, with, yes, with, with team Trafford. Personal experiences of the, that we've had. Well, that's the thing, you know, certain people are going to be better at repairing certain things than others, and I'd have to say if you take it if you take your phone or your iPad to the Genius Bar, you put it down and you say, you know, this is wrong with it. That person takes a look at it and they, in air quotes, fix it. To what standard? Because who is looking over their shoulder and certifying that that's a, a job well done? If you think about the refurb that you get when they swap a phone out, it does look as new. You're not getting back something that, you know, the job isn't quite what it, it could be. I'd also say, you know, in store, you, you've been in store. It's, it's loud. It, you can't hear yourself think. Are they even hard? Can they hear what you're telling them? True. And, um, you know, got to ask the question that is c c the, the, the people in the um, in the Genius Bar, 
did they have these skills before they just didn't use them or is it new skills they've had to learn that that was also my point that when you get a refurb like i'm saying it's certified that that it is in a1 condition it's gone through bench tests to say that it is working so you're not going to get well hopefully you're not going to get one where you know the home button that you took it in with that's working but now the backlight's gone mm. you know it they've looked at everything it's they've taken a holistic approach to it and they've looked at everything and i can't help thinking with this that you're going to get varying levels of service not only from store to store but also individual repairer to individual repairer you can't help that and i'm thinking knowing my luck it, that if i ever needed this service that there's a chance that you know it wouldn't work out as well as if they just swapped it i can see going forward for apple they can't just keep replacing everything because some people take in i mean i've seen them I've seen them stood there with a phone in their hand saying, you know, the home button isn't working. And the phone looks like it's been kicked around at Old Trafford for 90 minutes. And they walk out with a brand new phone. Whereas I really look after mine. I know you really look after yours. You go in, you could get, you know, a replacement and it's not as good as the one you've got. I think some people are using it like, oh, this is looking a bit old and tired now and I, and I want to upgrade, so I'll pass this on to somebody, but I'm going to get a new one first. Again, it's it's the minority spoiling it for the majority. I would much rather... I, If I've got my phone and I've had my phone a while, I've had it from brand new and I know that it's working, you know, yes, I have looked after it and I really want my own, but I'd also like it to re be repaired to a standard that I'm happy with. And I must admit that all my repairs in store, have n I've not been happy with the repairs at all. None of them. I have sent kit away and that also went hideously wrong. But at least AppleCare remotely, AppleCare on the phone did deal with it. But AppleCare in the store, dealing with the store one-to-one, -one, no, I did not have a good experience. So the thought of taking it in and them dismantling my phone, attempting to fix the problem and then put the phone back together, I'm not hopeful. I'm thinking back to when Mikey B took that laptop of his into the Trafford Centre yes. for the 17th time. I mean, it was a brand new 15-inch laptop when he started. I know he'd had it less than a year so it was still under warranty took it in for a problem to be solved they could not get that thing reassembled that was the problem they could fix it so whatever the problem was i can't actually remember what the original problem was um but it was backwards and forwards because when they reassembled it the lid wouldn't close so the original problem had been fixed but in doing it they caused another problem finally they get it all back together and the lid closes and he said he was working on it late one night and realised that the backlight wasn't coming on. So they hadn't reconnected the backlight behind the keyboard. So in the end, and this was like, you know, this must have been easy the fifth or sixth time he'd taken it back in, they gave him a new one. And why did they do that? It wasn't that they couldn't fix the problem, it was that they couldn't put it back together correctly. They just don't have the experience. That's not what they do all day, every day in store. They are much more general. I think their knowledge as being a genius, it you have to have a more general knowledge, don't you? You also yeah. have to be better, supposedly, dealing with people. Some of the best technicians on know are absolutely fantastic, but I wouldn't let them loose with customers. And I always feel that they're the ones that are fixing them when, you, when it gets sent away. I would rather not face that, I don't think, but uh, that's just my take on it. That's what's coming, apparently. I'm wondering if it's more cost-cutting. More than likely. Well, I think it would probably work out cheaper for them, wouldn't it? Mm. Although your repair may take longer. Well, how long does it take to exchange a phone? Not that long. About 20 minutes in my case. 
if they're going to fix it, they're going to dismantle it. I'd, I'd like to think it would take them longer than 20 minutes. Otherwise, I'm thinking they'll leave half of it on the workbench. But <laughs> yes, true. more changes from Apple. Not necessarily in our favour, I don't think. But we, we can't be complaining about Apple without complaining about Adobe. It was a big week this week. It was Adobe Max. Mm, Creative Cloud. No more Creative Suite. It is going Creative Cloud only, so subscription-based only. That was no big surprise to me. No, me neither. I was surprised it was a surprise to other people. I thought that had already been announced. We discussed that. Uh, that came out about six to eight weeks ago, where they said there would be no more boxed product. Um... I think it was the 7th of May, the cutoff, which I said to you, oh, surprisingly enough, is Max Week. So, no, it wasn't a surprise to me, but uh, caused a bit, a bit of a problem for some. I think what they've done is great for them because they're legalising people who've been using Photoshop illegally for years. You can now get a subscription to just Photoshop so or, or, in fact, any other single application for just $9.99 a month. So... I, that is good. It, that is excellent value. Yeah. I uh, worked it out to be about, was it £80 a year? Yeah. About $120, £80 a year. Photoshop Elements would cost you that, and that is updated every year. So to have the whole of Photoshop at that price, don't really see a problem to that. Now, I am already a Creative Cloud subscriber, so this is going to be the second update for me. I got my CS6 products via Creative Cloud. Uh, so on the 17th of June, when the new versions of the applications come out, it isn't going to cost me any more. So I'm not going to feel the pinch at all. And I think that's where they want you to be. I've already had during my subscription, uh, all I've had updates that people who had the boxed product to CS6 did not have. And I've also received a full version of Acrobat, so Acrobat Pro. And again, didn't cost me any more. So... I think once they've got you into the mentality of doing that, uh, you'll just get used to it. But it seems people want to have that concept of owning the software. Yes, and also people expect discounts for software upgrades, don't they? True, and I think it's nice that that, that is there. But I'd have to say people don't tend to expect it on hardware, like, say, cameras. If you've bought a camera, you know, you're happy with this camera today, it's the latest and greatest, and then whenever a new one comes out, it could be the very next new one, or you may decide to skip one, but in the future, a new one comes out, you don't go into the store and start complaining because there's no discount because you owned one from 10 years ago, do you? No, and I think it's like like many other things. I mean, we don't go to Old Trafford and say, "Can we have a discount on our season tickets?" Because we've been we've had them for the last twenty years. No, they're more likely to put the price up if you mention that. <laughs> no, I, I I don't understand that. I really don't. Um, same, you said with Apple, you don't take your iMac in and say, "Well, you know, I I've had every iMac for the last ten years, so can I have a discount on this one?" It might be worth a try, actually. <laughs> well, yes, it could be. <laughs> well, I have had one iMac <laughs> backwards and forwards more times than I care to think about. But you, you, you're, you don't have that mentality, do you? No. I think it's all the mentality and an expectation. The expectation is there will be a discount on software. I know software is slightly different from hardware in that, um, especially Adobe. I, I don't know what they do with their stuff, but especially Adobe. You buy some software... And on day one, you install it and configure it and it works and everything's fine. And then down the line, 
although that software, as long as nothing else changes on your system, that software will carry on running until the day the machine no longer runs. The problem is you can guarantee that in the interim, a new operating system will come out and that will render parts of that software inoperable. And I think that's where you've got a problem. It's not really Adobe's fault, though, is it? You've updated your system. And if you update your operating system and that breaks the Adobe software, that could happen with any software. Apple have broken their own software before today. Um, so I, I do realise that the software could stop working because of something else and therefore you feel a compulsion to upgrade or you, you may need to upgrade to carry on using the software. And maybe that's where the expectation has come in. But I would still use the analogy, you don't expect a discount on the hardware. The other thing is, if you think about Creative Cloud software, it is professional level software. Professional creatives working in it 40 hours a week, I don't think they use anything like all the features. The features are there, so it appeals across the board. Most people could get away with software that doesn't cost anything like that. And the other thing with Adobe software is it isn't very Mac-like, is it? Or do you not find a problem with that? No, I, I take your point. It's 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 not very much like it's it's I wouldn't say it was Windows like either, but no, it's no. They've got their own thing going on Adobe. Yeah, you look at the interface, and I must admit, uh, Photoshop I don't have a problem with. I, I guess I'm just used to it. I wouldn't exactly say it's completely intuitive, but because I've used it as long as I have, it's second nature to me. Um, one another application is Illustrator, and I I don't well. I don't use it as much as Photoshop. It's probably my second most used application um, in the suite. But I don't use it as much as Photoshop. And when, they, when they've updated it, the last update, it's not an improvement. I'm now more lost than I was before. And it is something that I use. I probably do use it every day. I just don't spend as much time in it as I do in Photoshop. And I don't find the interface helpful at all. It's actually a hindrance to getting on. So I know precisely what I want to do. And I would say that more of my time is spent trying to find a way to do it, find the right tool to do it with, than is actually maybe planning it or actually doing it. So I don't think the interface, the interface is you tolerate it really rather than enjoy using it. But there are many, many applications out there that have, well, should I say a better interface, a more Mac-like interface for, for sure. And they are incredibly inexpensive. So whereas you would be paying $10 a month for Photoshop, for $20, you could actually have an application that you can install on every Mac that you own. And no, it's not going to be Illustrator. No, it's not going to be Photoshop, but it is incredibly capable. Some of those applications, I would say, are better. You know, the one trick pony applications, they do one thing, but they do it very well. Yeah. There are many, yeah. many, many of those out there. Some of them are free. Some of them are 69 pence. So maybe it would be time, you know, if you really do object to the pricing model that you'll be paying going forward, then maybe it's time to look at some of the alternatives. I've actually looked at a couple this week to Illustrator. Illustrator's now got me to the point that I'm looking at alternatives. If people object to the pricing to, to that degree, I'd suggest they do the same because there's some really capable software out there. There really is. My biggest problem of the week from, from Adobe is that they've killed fireworks. Oh, sorry, sunsetted it. I don't think you think that's a big deal. Mm. Not directly, but... Well, I'm thinking, why would you think that? From. Why would you think it's no big deal? Because Adobe have got... 
Photoshop. Photoshop. So why do you need two image editing applications? The thing is, they inherited um, fireworks from um, Macromedia. I don't think they ever really completely understood it. Uh, not from a marketing perspective. Obviously, their developers must have understood it. They built it. But from a marketing perspective and what it could actually do, I don't think they ever really got it. I think they're convinced that they can take what Fireworks does and, and shoehorn it into Illustrator or Photoshop or these new applications they've got, Edge and Muse. And to be, to be honest, you can't. Fireworks was a unique application and that's another one that I use on a daily basis. It really shines when it comes to interface development. So uh, you may have heard of UI and UX, user interface, user experience. Yes, I've heard of them. It's actually vector-based, but it handles uh, pixel-based, bitmap-based images incredibly well. And it is not Photoshop. If you want to edit a photo, then take it into Photoshop. But if you want to create a layout, then Fireworks was your best friend. They are not developing it further. But if you think about that, that could be a huge problem. The old version is still there. CS6 is still there. They are going to continue selling it under Creative Cloud. So there will be an ongoing expense for a piece of software that they've already said is not going to be developed. What I've seen in the communities that I frequent are people going out and buying the box product because for them, they only use fireworks, they're only interested in fireworks, and they don't want an ongoing expense, even if it is less than $10 a month, for a product that they're no longer supporting. I'd say there is a big community for Photoshop, obviously. Everybody's heard of Photoshop, everybody understands Photoshop, it's become a verb. But Fireworks has an amazing community. They actually, they virtually crowdsource stuff. Uh, there's over 6,000 signatures on a petition for not killing it, at least releasing it to open source, which I can't see them doing, I must admit. I think the writing was on the wall for Fireworks a while back, just before Christmas. Uh, yes, that was a good day to bury bad news, as they say. Just before Christmas, as people were somewhat merry from Christmas parties, they uh, slipped in nicely with a little blog post. They were killing off some of the Adobe Touch apps, and Proto was one of them and Proto was also for UI design. So they're moving away from that. What they're doing instead, because it would make no sense for any company to kill a product and not replace it in some kind of way, what I think they're hoping is that you'll move over to Edge and Muse and people can't understand why the Fireworks users don't want to do that. But Edge and Muse are similar in concept to Flash. That's enough to scare everybody to death, isn't it? When I say similar... Edge and Muse create the final output, but the people using Fireworks aren't necessarily creating the final output. They are designers. They are not developers. So they want to design the front end and then hand over a set of assets. And that is where Fireworks was absolutely fantastic. There are a couple of alternatives, but they're not Fireworks. Fireworks is... It's been there much longer. It has this um, architecture where it can take plugins and extensions. So you can, in essence, if you have the skill set, make Fireworks do anything you want. And the community have really worked together and created something fantastic. And they've just had it whipped from under them. So they are not happy. 
So I think that's more important than the pricing, to be honest, because if, if you don't think it's good value, then don't buy it. The people with fireworks are using it as a, a central part of their workflow and it's just vanished. As I say, it is still going to be there you know, moving forward till whenever. But once something like that has been, well, has gone into no longer supported, you know that you're going to have to find something else because you also know that when there is a change to the operating system, fireworks could well stop working. Just to give you an idea, when Mountain Lion came out, which is almost 12 months ago, CS6 had been out about two months. And when I put Mountain Lion on my machine, I think I had CS6 already there, but you get the same effect if you install the operating system and then fireworks. There's an error when you come to export. So you come to export an image in fireworks to say a JPEG. You do it, it works, no problem. And then a dialog box comes up and says, can't find the file. You click OK and everything's fine. So this is just an, an errant dialog box. They've announced they're going to uh, release bug fixes going forward. Well, that's been there for the best part of 10 months and they've not fixed it yet. So you know if that's the level of support, you really can't rely on it to do your job. And I think that's that's more significant than all the other things that people are complaining about. But that's just me. And now you know what it does. What do you think? I can see why you'd need it. It is one of those things that it's a niche market, I'll yeah. grant you. But it is essential for some people's workflow. Yeah. So, yes, that, that was one thing. The other thing, you know, they take away one thing and then they give you something else. I think the biggest news in terms of what they're going to be offering isn't Creative Cloud. I think it's the intelligent cloud-connected hardware they've come up with. And they've come up with two concepts. One is called Project Context, which is an intelligent cloud-connected stylus. Sounds I bet cool. you like that because you like styluses, don't you? I've only got two. Mm, are you going to want this one? Yeah, it does sound cool. Yes, at the moment, it's um, it works via an application that has been customised to work with it. So it holds, the, the actual hardware holds your login credentials to Creative Cloud. So I'm assuming because of that, I could use my stylus on your iPad and it would know it was me because my login credentials are actually in the hardware. And what that then does is query Creative Cloud and bring down my preferences. So it doesn't matter which device I'm using. Now, if you think of that in a corporate situation, that's amazing. Mm, that would be amazing. It, I'm surprised nobody else has come up with the concept first. But uh, Adobe are also thinking of taking that um, further than that, which is they are there's talk of an API. So they could provide uh, API integration for other developers and I'm assuming take some kind of licensing from that, which is a nice revenue stream for them. So your um, project context stylus would then work in other applications, storing the settings in Creative Cloud. So in essence, they've created a cloud-based platform for design-related applications. So I can see that working quite well. The other piece of hardware was called Napoleon. Uh, do, do I have to say why? It was so cheesy. <laughs> I would say why. Apparently, well, it's a ruler. It is um, a small design style ruler. And uh, they decided Napoleon, short ruler. 
Yes, quite. Anyway, never mind the fact it's a silly name. Now, I don't know if these names are going to be their actual release names because I'd have to be concerned. They're nice, but they're concepts. And Adobe haven't even committed to producing them yet. So a little bit ideal home show syndrome, don't you think? Look at this. Isn't it cool? No, you can't buy it yet. In fact, you may never be able to buy it. But hey ho. It whips up the frenzy, doesn't it, at max? It does. You see stuff and you think, ooh, nice. But it reminds me of Google I.O. There's some great concepts, but they're years away. If you remember last year, they had that jumping out of the helicopter thing yes. with Google Glass. Yeah. And they're only now hitting the streets. So you're looking at 11 and a half months. And they're year, in fact, they're still years away from being, you know, being able to go into a store and buy them. And I'm thinking this, at the moment, this is looking the same. They're, they're, they are nowhere near ready for consumption yet. I noticed with the way they delivered Macs as well, it was somewhat reminiscent of an Apple Keynote. All, all the, the way that the slides were put up, the way it, it worked. And a lot of people copy Apple's style of keynote, but they miss the one thing that makes a difference, which is at the end, they put a slide up and it says shipping today. They miss that bit. Do you remember when Microsoft did the same? Oh. And they kind of they, they built up this mass frenzy, like you're saying, there's virtual hysteria. And then at the end, when you're thinking, how much is it? And when can I have it? And they just go, bye. You're like, what? So it was a little bit like that, I'm afraid. It, it looked lovely. And uh, it, if, it, if it comes off, it will be amazing. I also think it's the right way for Adobe to go. Apple have proved that getting the hardware right is, to them, more important than the software, isn't it? You know, their, their software is languishing, uh, Apple's software. And Adobe realised that software may not be the be-all and end-all going forward. So if they have some hardware, ooh, maybe they can uh, do wonders with it. It certainly looked better, I thought, than uh, the Surface. I was more excited than I was with the Surface. But as I say, not with us yet, but you never know. The other thing that concerned me is, and how much is this little lot going to cost? Yes, how much is it going to cost? Well, we've no idea. I don't think they've any idea. <laughs> so, th that was the biggest news from Max, some vaporware. Vapor hardware, can't say fairer than that, can you? Also got sent a link this week to um, something that I, I've titled Pink Still Stinks. Have you seen that? I've seen that one. Yes, I know you tweeted it. Tesco's I got didn't slammed. Tweet, did I? Yes, you did. No. Tesco got slammed by some customers for uh, advertising toys online in a gender-based way. So there was a chemistry set for boys and a cooker for girls. And the cooker was pink, just to add insult to injury, you know. Are they still doing that? Apparently. Their defence was that's how people look for stuff. Right. That they search for toys for boys and toys for mm. girls. Enough said. Mm. I had a chemistry set. I can honestly say I did not have a pink cooker. No, I didn't have a pink cooker either. Did you have a chemistry set? Yes. Mm, I did too. Who knew that happened with potassium? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> There's still a stain on the wall outside. Well, I didn't know it would blow the lid off. Uh, yes, so I'm not really fit to be let loose with... Um, uh, well, if I can do that with a chemistry set, think of the damage I could cause with a cooker. Yes. So chemistry sets for me all the way. Now, two words to instill fear into every computer user. You ready? Go on. Google launches. Dot, dot, dot. Be afraid. But at least the florists, you may now plan for yet another imminent service demise. Yes, what it is, Google have launched Photosphere. Just a minute while I yawn loudly. 
Uh, it's a viewing widget for embedding images in any website. That sounds a bit old hat to me. Yeah. Mm. But it's a new service and they've launched it. So like I'm saying, be dead within the week then. Right. Can I, can I just say here, reading the show notes, I thought it said Google launches florists. Now there's <laughs> somewhere they could make money. <laughs> no, no, no. There was, a, there was a hard return there. It was probably a smart quote as well, but there there, is, I, I'm not going to mention that. I mean, enough quote. trouble. That's where it went wrong. <laughs> well, I can see the benefit of it for people, but aren't most people's photos on Flickr? Yeah, or... Or some, yeah. some private thing. Uh, no, I don't think I'll be using that. I think Google Plus is great for photos. Maybe it can um, do some good on the back of that, that people are putting their photos on Google Plus. And then this Photosphere thing will pull them through to any website from there. It might, it might work. Uh, but it's Google, so don't trust it. Uh, also, in relation to photos, have you tried the Amazon Cloud Drive photo app? No. I did. I didn't. I knew I had some storage space on Amazon, but what what put me off using it was that there was never a sort of application that was so integrated it was nice to use. You know, like SkyDrive. Yeah. SkyDrive really. What what did that used to be called? Had a different Windows name, Live. Didn't it? Was it Windows Live storage space? Something like that. Whatever it was, it it lacked an interface that made me want to use it. And when they upgraded it to SkyDrive, big improvements. You know, when you can have it open in a browser window and just drag and drop as if it's a finder window, then I'm going to use it. Amazon hadn't reached that point for me. But I downloaded this app and I tried it. And I can really see a benefit for it. If you have an Amazon account, you have five gig of online storage. And I'm assuming you can buy more. What you do when you install this app you can configure it. I mean, it's fairly basic, but you can configure it where it will automatically upload your images. That could be considered fairly dangerous. I'm assuming it's private, but it's a nice way, you know, like if you go on holiday and you have less access than usual to yeah. um, your secondary storage, it would be a good way to back it up automatically. So I I think that might have some use. I have turned the automatic um, upload off. And you can also configure it to only upload when it's on Wi-Fi. But in terms of just using it for backup storage, I can certainly see a benefit for that. So I have installed it and uh, I'll be road testing it as we, as we go on. But it was free as well. So worth looking at. Talking of cloud services, um, haven't Box bought Crocodoc this week? I love that name, Crocodoc. Yes, uh, Box is another one they've given away lots of storage i've certainly got 50 gig on box i've got 50 gig yeah so a way to use it in a meaningful way would be great yeah they bought crocodoc crocodoc allows you to put documents to view documents online so box were already going down that route i subscribed to a couple of online magazines and they distribute their magazines via box that's cool so they give you they give you a private link to you know box link you go to it and there is well, it's flash based because it doesn't show on my browser. I have to enable flash for the site, but you can see the document. So there's some kind of viewer, flash based viewer, and then you can download the PDF. So um, the benefit with them buying Crocodoc is that it's HTML5 document viewing. So it would uh, you would no longer need flash. So that would be a great improvement. I have to say it reminds me of what used to be called flash paper. I remember that vaguely. Flash paper was a great idea. It was sort of in the heyday of flash and flash did two things very well. It provided a ubiquitous way to play video. 
So if you were producing video, you didn't need to be concerned about whether somebody could see your video or not. If they had the flash player, they could see your video. And that was great. And what flash paper did was exactly the same with documents. So you could embed, all you needed to do was put um, you know, a line of code in and you could embed your document on a website and then people could see that. But not, not only could they see it, they could interact with, with that document. Those two services available via Flash, to me, were the best things that Flash did. Again, I don't think Adobe understood what they had, because if Crocodoc are providing HTML5 version of that, there's obviously a demand for it. And what Adobe did a good few years ago was terminate the development of Flash Paper. It, now, they did that before Apple declared that Flash was persona non grata. So they'd already killed it before Apple finally put the stake through its heart. They just didn't get it. But I'm looking forward to this because I there are times I've sat and thought, I wish I could put this in Flash Paper because I want people to have that kind of interaction with it. So I'm hopeful that this will work in a similar way when they, when they fully integrate it. And I've got 50 gig to try it with. I wonder if that link still works for the 50 gig. It's worth a try. I shall test it, and if it does, I shall put it yeah. in the show notes. You too could have 50 gig of free box storage and um, a way to showcase your documents if uh, this integrates and it works well. Talking of working well, um, there was some more of those iOS 7 concepts out this week, um, which I had a look. Well, when I say I had a look at them, I went to the page. There's about 10 videos, and I looked at the first one. But, uh, you know, seen one, seen them all. Oh, no, some of them are gorgeous. Minster sent one. I was salivating all over the table. Um, it was a it was an iOS seven concept, and um, it was what somebody thought Johnny's working on in his spare time. It reminded me of the new Yahoo Weather app. The interface was very much like that. Great video to see. I don't think we're going to see anything like that in iOS seven. I think we might have to wait until iOS eight. Sadly. But at least we've moved away from concepts of hardware. I just can't be bothered watching these things because, you know, what will be, will be. You'll be disappointed. Mm. I must admit, they do get on my nerves a bit. They're, they're, they're like a visual representation of a rumour, yeah. aren't they? But some of them are just absolutely gorgeous. And uh, this one was nice. It was definitely nice. I've heard so many people saying, oh, I'm going to go, go, go and get an Android phone because I, I'm bored of iOS. Not something I can understand because to me it's, does it work? Not, you know, does it look pretty? But lots of people are moving away, so maybe it's time for a new interface. I, to I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. But, you know, you're more design-oriented than me, so I'd have thought you would have, you know, the, the design whatever the word is yeah whereas me i just wanted to work and don't not fuss what it looks like i'd be easily swayed by by a nice design well i must admit i picked up my nexus 7 the other day and on the, the home screen where it's locked at this stage now i don't have a lock uh number on it I don't have a code number on it to get in but what you have to do to actually get into it is put your finger in the middle at the bottom and swipe to one side so very similar to ios but on that screen, before you even unlock it, at the top, you have notifications. So there's like a little notification bar and there's various icons in it. So if I've had four emails, there'll be four little mail icons. And I've made my home screen more personal. I've put Evernote on it and I talked about that. I love the way it integrates with Evernote. It's fantastic. 
But I looked at this thing and I thought, oh, I've had some notifications. So I did exactly as the same as I would on iOS and I pulled down the notifications and I could see I'd had some emails and there were some tweets in there. And I looked at the email and the email at the very top, underneath it, I'd never seen this before, so it must have been an update to the operating system. Underneath it, it said uh, reply or archive. And I looked at it and I thought that wasn't there before. And I thought, mm, well, I've read that now. I don't need to do anything with it. So I tapped the archive button and away it went and up came the next mail and gave me the same options. I thought this is fantastic. I haven't even unlocked the thing you know I haven't swiped it open and I can do that with it so that's not just what it looks like it's what you can actually do with it and when you can do it if you compare that with I know people have um, been very annoyed with Bluetooth you know the number of taps you have to endure to turn Bluetooth on and off tell me about it now I must admit that isn't something I do regularly but I know people who do and they are infuriated by it. There have been a couple of apps that have managed to sneak into the store that enable you to do it from an app. So you just tap the app and it goes on and off. But they've been thrown out. So Apple really want to keep control of it. But, you know, if you want to keep control of it, make it easy for us to do the things that we do all the time. And I just thought that was a really practical implementation of that. Nothing to do with what it looked like. It actually made it easier to work with. So not just the design. Yes, the design of these concept videos, it's the design they're going for. And I've said before, when they're concept videos of hardware, you know, they probably can't be built. When, when there's something and it's one millimetre thick, and this is the new iPhone, it's, it's, it's you know, one, mil, one millimetre piece of glass. Not happening. But these concepts, they, they probably could be built. But it isn't just the look of it, it's how it actually works as well. And I'm sure Johnny can get a, a nice combination of the two. It's just, has he had long enough to do it for it to be out this year? And is is it important? Can, can they afford to wait until iOS 8 or will a lot of people jump ship in the meanwhile? And I don't know. I'm not jumping ship anytime soon, but I must admit... Having actually got a Nexus and actually looking at it, working with it on a daily basis, it has some nice features. And then I do start thinking, I wish it would do this and I wish it would do that. But I'm not yet at the stage where I'm, so I'll go and buy a Nexus 4 to do it with. But it could come. But it's not just the look of it. It's actually the functionality of it to me. And iOS is still functional for me. But yes, if I was like you and I was turning my Bluetooth on and off 20 times a day, I'd probably be beyond annoyed by now. Oh, I'm not beyond annoyed, it's just minor annoyance. Mm, at the moment. Well, here's hoping they don't make it any more difficult. Mm, that's true. But should we get, go on and look at some apps? I think we should. And I've got a good one this week. In fact, it's this week's... Ooh. Go on then. Yes, it's Delicious Library 3. We've talked about Delicious Library before. I think it was Delicious Library 2. We also had the sad demise of the iOS app, but more on that later. It's a cataloguing app. It's aimed squarely at your media. So if you think DVDs, music, it's tightly integrated with Amazon for both querying and pricing. So why it was so important, um, Delicious Library 2 was a killer app for me when I first got a Mac. What I found amazing was I, I remember picking up uh, stacks of books and bringing them into where my Mac was and scanning the barcodes with my iMac's camera. So instead of keeping, you know, creating a database where you have to type everything in, it did everything via Amazon and a barcode scan, which 
was so futuristic at the time. I mean, it's the first computer I'd had, I think, with an integrated webcam for a start. And the fact that I could scan it, oh, this is fantastic. Also had a great interface and it was a clear influence on Apple when they worked on iOS with iBooks, etc. I mean, if you've ever seen Delicious Library 2, it just looks identical to the iBooks app on your iPad and your iPhone. Of course, Delicious Library and the people who make it had gone very quiet for a long time. They did bring out an iOS version, and I remember we talked about it on MacBytes, and Minster was distraught when he found out that it was no longer with us. They had to take it out of the store. The reason was Amazon refused permission for the app to use the, their appy on mobile. I think that's ridiculous. You've either got permission to use their appy, why does the device matter? But obviously it did. And um, they pulled permission, which meant that the app vanished. I wondered at that point if Delicious Library had had its day, both because if there's no way to leverage mobile, it makes sense to me that if you've got this library that is a catalogue of your media, you would want that with you on a mobile device. That makes sense to me. Mm, makes sense to me. And I think because of that, that, that was one thing that was a problem. If I can't access it in a mobile way, it's going to be less use to me. The other thing was the question of do we really need a cataloguing app when so much of our media is electronic? And that was an important question too. It catalogues music, DVDs, ebooks, toys, tools, which seems rather bizarre and random to me, but then at least it's not Kitchenalia. But when I was testing it, um, I needed a DVD to scan. And I looked around and I struggled to find one. And I thought, hmm, this is, this is potentially one of its pitfalls. That I do have DVDs, I have many box sets, but once I've um, backed them up purely for personal purposes, in other words, they're in iTunes, I put the DVDs away. So I don't really have access. So the fact that I can scan the barcode became much less significant. I couldn't find a box to uh, scan at all. So I um, left it a day or so. And when a, when a disc arrived from Amazon, I, I decided to scan that one. It works brilliantly. It, it really does. Uh, it was incredibly fast. I did one with the camera. So that works as well as it ever did. The new interface is impressive. It's retained all the good things about the old version. So the shelf metaphor is still there with the libraries on the left, the shelves are in the middle and the information, well the information is a bit of an issue but the there's now animation so as your mouse cursor moves over the um, item on the shelf it kind of moves slightly. I want to say it wiggles, but that makes it sound like iOS. It moves slightly. So the interface is completely stunning. What they've also done is add in the ability to generate recommendations based on the contents of your library. And from there, you can work with a wish list. What I did find useful was the more you put in this, the more important it is that you can find stuff you're looking for. And the search is extensive. So you can search on any field. So you've, you've got like the name. Uh, if it's sort of a film, you could have the artists in it, the director. One of the most clever things I thought was um, building in something that I've known for years is important. You can search by colour. So if you think you've got a DVD, you can't remember the name of it, but the cover was red, then you'll be able to find it. Cool. And that reminded me of when I was at law school and um, 
And down in London, there is a little bookshop. It's a legal bookshop called Wildies. And it looks like, uh, well, it was it was there in the days of Dickens and it still looks like that. So I'm going in there and I, I'm, you know, I've got book lists with me and stuff. But I was looking for a book that wasn't on my book list because it was from the following year. It's all complicated. But in essence, I was looking for a book. All I knew about this book was the subject and the fact that the cover was blue. So it was a trusts book, Equity and Trusts, and the cover was blue. And beyond that, I had no idea. So I, I could, I suppose, have wandered around and looked for it. But obviously it was a book that was central to the topic, but I didn't know enough to know what book that might be. So I went in there and there was a guy in charge of the, of the department and he said, can I help you? And I said, yes, I'm looking for a book. Uh, it's Equity and Trusts. And he said, fine, who's the author? I thought, damn it. <laughs> so I said, um, I don't know. So he looked back at me and said, fair enough. What do you know? So I said, the cover's blue. So he said, oh, that's Pettit. I thought, wow. But you, there isn't often that you can go into a store and there is an assistant with that degree of knowledge to help you. No, somebody who knows the stuff. He really did. He was amazing. He was absolutely amazing. He was better than any computer. They did have a computer in the back room, but it couldn't do what he could do. No way. He knew everything about these books. Somebody who took a pride in their job. And that's what Delicious Library can do for you. It, it can be... His name was Berridge, Mr. Berridge. So I'm calling it the Berridge feature in honour of him, uh, that it can search by colour. And that, to me, is incredibly useful. I mean, I'm sure you can think of things that you know the colour and you can't remember the title. I'm sure there's plenty. I liked that. Um, the voice search, however, was not a success for me. It didn't seem to listen to me at all. I can't imagine why. No, I couldn't get the voice search to find a thing. Uh, it just wasn't picking up at all. Overall, the interface is nice uh, because it builds on all the best parts of the original. But there's one huge flaw with it, as far as I'm concerned. In the real original, you know, right back to the very original, that used to have this feature that it had, wait for it, an info panel on the right-hand side. So you chose an item in the main window. So I clicked on my box set of 24. And up on the right-hand side came all the information about what I've selected in the middle. I loved that. I loved that. So when I go back to the middle and I click on something else, that info panel automatically updated and then showed me the information for the second thing I'd clicked. This is sounding reminiscent of BusyCal, isn't it, yes. and the iCal debacle. It did exactly the same. To me, that's how it should work. That's exactly how it should work. Then they released uh, an interim version, and they moved this info panel from the right-hand side to the bottom of the window. That made no sense to me because my screen is wider than it is tall and you were taking up space that could have shown me more items in the middle by showing me the info for a single item at the bottom. So I wrote and said don't like this can you put it back where it was as did many many other people and they did so it went back to the right hand side. With this version though they've done what um, I've seen happening with other applications I don't like it the info's now in a pop-up and the look of the interface just screams to me, I now want to tap it. I don't want to click it, I want to tap it. Because if the info pops up in a panel over the top of it, where's that come from? iOS. But that isn't how I use my Mac. So if you think about it, I have a box set. I click the box set once to select it. I then have to go over to the button and I have to click that to get the info up. 
Then before I go on to the next one, I have to close that info. I have to go back to the middle. I have to click the second item. Then I have to go back to the info button. Are you following me? I am. It's, it's long and it's arduous. And I don't want to do that. If I want to see the info all the time, then it should be sort of a slide out thing where I can leave it on the screen. And if I, you know, if I don't want to see it, then I'll hide it. But at least make it an option instead of which it's this float over thing. And I don't like it because it's too reminiscent of iCal for me. But um, I counted. It took me six clicks to get the information for, from two items, whereas normally that would just take me one click to go from one item to another. So that's not an improvement. And the dialogue box that, that pops up with the info in it it's too small. It's tiny. It looks like an iOS version. So much so, I'm thinking, are you leveraging this code to build an iOS version? Because it looks just like that. And that's not an improvement on my Mac. But the best feature remains the scanning, which has now been liberated from the desktop. No more carting my books through. There is a free iOS application. Now, it's not going to let me put all my stuff in it. What it is, is a, a scanning application. So, I load the application on my iPhone. I take my iPhone to my books, DVDs, whatever I want to put in there, and I just scan them. It's amazingly fast. It was incredibly accurate, and it seemed to cover quite a lot of the stuff that I was scanning. So I didn't find one item that it couldn't find. So I think that's a great addition to it. It really makes sort of your iPhone. It's surprising it's taken so long, to be honest. iPhone's been out sort of six years now. Amazing that it has taken them that long, but it does work very well. There's also some stuff in there that I'm never going to use, which is um, the most requested feature, apparently, is to create a valuation of what you own. So what's the current value of all your books and your DVDs and stuff? Mm, my head doesn't work that way. You know, if I buy something, I buy it. I'm, I'm not concerned about what the value of my collection is. But I guess if you're, you know, putting collectibles in there, maybe first editions and things, that might be important to you. And as I say, it's the most requested feature, so some have got to be using it. May also be uh, useful if you could use it as the front end to an ebook collection. Because yes, I can put all my ebooks into my filing system, but the odds are I'm going to forget that I've got some there because they're very visual. I want to see the covers. And in the previous version, there was an option to put a local link to a file. So if I got an ebook, I added it to my delicious library and I put a link to the book, but I can't find anywhere anymore to put in a local link. So I'd like to see that added. And another problem I had was clicking to access reading view. So if I have an item that I, I've got there, there's an option that I can click it. It will take me out to Amazon and take me straight to the item in reading view. The problem I had with it was it was taking me to .com, Amazon.com, despite the fact that all my settings were set to the UK. And even when I got to Amazon.com, the service was then unavailable. So I'm not sure what's going on there. So if you have a need to catalogue your um, collection of whatever, as long as uh, it's covered by their categories, so books, DVDs, music, then it's still very, very nice. I just personally don't think anymore it's, it's quite the necessity maybe than it was. But as I say, if that's your thing, it is very nice. But despite my reservations, if analogue is your thing, Mike's got you covered with a rather nice toy. 
It is a nice toy, yeah. It's an app I found called MI Tapes. It's a music player app for the iPhone, but with a difference. I think Gavel like this one. It allows you to create mixtapes just like you did on cassette tapes back in the old days. And it uses songs in your iPhone music library. It was developed as a way to recreate the experience of compiling mixtapes from the days of cassette tapes and the developer said, I used to spend countless hours making mixtapes back in the day, labouring over crafting that, that perfect mix of songs and I want to bring that back. So some of the features it's got, it allows you to select tracks on your iPhone music library. When you create a tape, um, and I'm actually going to run through this live on the show in a minute. And uh, each tape has a... Cue the Goombay dance band. Oh, you've spoiled it now. <laughs> each tape has a limited running time of 60, 90 or 120 minutes. So what you do is when you run the app, you choose the tape length of 60, 90 or 120. And the great thing is you can actually, when you've selected your tapes, change that tape length, which obviously you can't on a, 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 a manual analog tape it's got two sides a and b and you can create as many tight tapes as you like which are displayed in an old style tape rack and when you've created your tape each tape has its own cover displaying the track list with handwritten labels um and it's it's you know when you look at the um like the box of a cassette tape mm -hmm. um it's very very authentic the mixed tapes are played in a music player which actually looks and behaves like a cassette tape. You've got the spinning cogs, you've got the handwritten labels, as I say. It even switches between side A and side B, even down to the, the little screws on the tape. So, you know, it's it's really good. It's skeuomorphic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it sounds cool. When the, when it comes down to the, the aesthetics. Um, yeah, let me let me run through it. So I've run the app. I'm going to choose 60 minutes as the tape length. I'm going to give the tape a title of Mike. And then what it does... Not Mike's Mega Mix. I'll just call it Mike, just to save time. Um, it then gives me a list of all the uh, songs in my um, my iPhone library. Brace yourself. So on side A, so I'm going to tap the plus sign against a song and another song and another song. What it's doing is... Um, as I plus the, as I tap the plus sign, it's also at the top of the screen, giving me a, a total, a running total. So up to now, I'm up to twelve minutes thirty seven seconds, and I'm now up to twenty seven and a half minutes. So if I tap on another song, it comes up and it says, "Oops, that song won't fit on this side. Try putting it on the other side or rethinking your track list." <laughs> Love it. Um, so I could I can take songs away, so I could just you know click the cross to take them away. I'm now going to go onto side B and pick another couple of songs. Um, you're not telling us what these songs are. No, well, you're going to find out in a minute. Oh joy! Yeah. Um, Put him off now. Let's let's just go down to the S's. That's in seven tiers. Gumbay dance band. I knew it. There we go. I'll put that on deliberately. Okay, so I've picked some songs. I'm going to tap done. And when I actually look now, I can see the uh, the label of, not the tape, but the label of the box, with which, uh, which has got A and B and EQ and time. And uh, So here we go. Make sure my phone's not on mute. Turn it up. Tap seven tears. Ah. There we go. That a MacBite is running for the hills right now. 
Yeah, if I if I tap the A B button, it switches to the side A. And I will eject it. So that is my um, app. That's my app review. It's it's called MI Tape. Are you sure it shouldn't be my tape? Maybe it's my tape. Mm. I'm thinking it probably is. Probably is my tape, MI Tape, whatever. Um, but it's 69p or 99 cents from the App Store. And I'll put a link in. But now it's time for Mac Love Bites. Yes, and we heard from Derek Peters, who's done a fabulous review of something we've mentioned at least half a dozen times and not got round to, shamefully. Uh, Derek recommended a while back I Annotate for annotating PDFs. And then I mentioned I was struggling with Goodreader, which was doing its own thing. And uh, Derek again said, you know, give I Annotate a go. And I did, and I love it. So what Derek's done is uh, given us an audio review of how he's using it. So take it away, Derek. Hi, everybody. I've decided that it's time for me to get off the fence and tell you about my killer must-have, can't-manage-without-app for the iPad, which is I annotate PDF from Branchfire. Much of my working time is spent dealing with postgraduate certificates of education students on behalf of Manchester Metropolitan University and attending meetings at the university, involving quite a bit of research and document reading. So I need something that is easy to use quick and versatile and that enables me to make the most of my reading time. Start up I annotate and an uncluttered tabbed interface enables you to work on multiple PDFs at once with a fully customizable tool menu available to the right of your document. Once a PDF is opened it gets its own tab under the header bar. Multiple PDFs can be open and accessible at the same time via these tabs. Scrolling through a large file is smooth and quick. Users can also search a document for specific words or phrases. By default, the toolbars are active to the right of the screen. Available annotation tools include highlighting, bookmarking, notation, underlining, freeform pen markup and much much more. These tools can be arranged to include any of the available tools by tapping on the spanner icon in the upper right and then the toolbar setting cog icon. This activates a master tool menu which allows tools to be dragged to and from the toolbar. Navigation tools include go to page number, next page, last page, first page, bookmarks and a list of annotations. The highlight and underline tools both work remarkably well. Simply touch the tool and drag your finger across the desired text. Consecutive lines can be highlighted at once without lifting a finger. Separate lines can be marked up by scrolling through the file before leaving the tool. After the intended markup is complete, users have the ability to change the colour. This can be accomplished beforehand with a highlight or underline of a specific colour tool, or on the fly. Adding annotations is a breeze. Tap the Add Note annotation tool 
and then tap the desired location on the PDF. This brings up a text box and the keyboard to begin editing. Once complete, the note can be minimised and expanded later. There is also an option to add a short dictated note to the annotation. These annotations will also display for quick reference in the file's master annotation list. After the annotations are completed to the user's liking, the PDF can be shared with others. Tapping on the Documents tab brings up a nice drop-down menu, which offers the ability to email, copy or open the document in other capable iPad apps on the device. Dropbox integration is also well utilised, while syncing up large libraries via the free desktop companion app is a quick and simple solution. With a few files imported, you can keyword search your catalogue and keep it organised using new, read, unread and annotated tabs. Collating your notes is simplified by the facility to separately export marked up text and annotations via email, while VGA Doc Connector support means that you can even display your PDFs on an external projector and annotate in front of an audience. However, if the content is sens sensitive, app-wide password protection is also at your disposal. The developers at Branchfire have responded to user feedback generated from earlier releases and have made mobile integrated PDF ed editing a joy to undertake. The latest version of the app also supports Word and PowerPoint. Priced favourably at $9.99 or I think £6.99 from the App Store, this is one of the best value for money apps that I have ever bought and now find it indispensable. There is nothing I have asked of it that I have not been able to achieve and from a full version Acrobat user that is saying a lot. I cannot give a definitive list of features of iAnnotate as I keep finding new things it can do, like adding signatures to documents. And there is a great training section available on the Branchfire website, which is available from the App Help section. I would recommend this app to anyone, but it is a vital tool in the armory of anyone who has to deal with lots of PDFs which would benefit from annotation, bookmarking or searching. So thank you for that, Derek. That's fantastic. Um, I must admit, one of the things you mentioned, I, I think, is a great feature of it. And that's the menu customization. Well, it's not really the menu, is it? It's the toolbar. The toolbar's on the right hand side. and You can customize it. That's a rarity these days. I'm thinking of um, Evernote on the desktop. Remember that major update of a few months ago? Yes. And they took away the ability to edit the toolbar. So you're now stuck with whatever they choose to put on there. And I must admit, that jarred with me a bit, that I want more customization, not less. Um, so it, that's a great feature in here. If there's a tool that you find that you're using a lot, you can actually promote it and you can have multiple menus. So that is a feature that I'm using. I really, really wish that it had shape annotations. If if I annotate had shape annotations, it would be complete for me. Um, I've not seen 
many other applications that do have shape annotations. Goodreader does. What I mean by shape annotations is that I can, you know, tap and create a rectangle. What I can do in iAnnotate is actually draw around something and make a rectangle. But obviously I'm OCD or something and, and I like my rectangles perfect. So I'm hoping that they will add that and that then it would be totally perfect. I need to investigate the document management more. I must admit it doesn't sit with me so far. I think I need to spend more time with it. I think um, documents, you know, we talked about documents and Goodreader. Yeah. I think they are document management applications with PDF editing added on. And I think I annotate is an annotator with document management added on. Or that's how I think of it in my mind. So I need to spend some more time with that. But Derek's right. It, it ticks all the boxes and links to all the services that I would need. So um, just need to spend a little bit more time with it. Yeah, I'm the same. I've used it a couple of times, but I've used Goodreader primarily, mainly because the files were in there. So it's just historical. Yeah, I'd rather have my files somewhere where I could get to them from all of the apps. But I don't particularly want to be downloading um, ebooks of 100 meg when I'm out. So for that, I'm going to need to think of something else. But I think I may have solved that problem. More on that next time. But thank you very much for that, Derek. It was much appreciated and great to hear a new voice too. Yes, thank you for that, Derek. And on to feedback and comments. And we heard from Alistair with some feedback following Elaine's suggestion of using DevonThink for his document storage requirements. He said, Hi Elaine and Mike, thanks for your response to my quest for secure PDF storage. I've had a good look at DevonThink and decided it is probably very good at what it does, probably far more than I need and too rich for what I need. As a serial tinkerer and long-time member of the Ooh Shiny Shiny Club... I founded that, I'm sure. <laughs> I think you did. I was just thinking that. <laughs> uh, I'm very tempted, but there comes a point where I can't justify the cost of hitting a nail with a sledgehammer. If it was less than 25 US dollars for both OS X and iOS versions combined, I'd probably go for it. It's encouraging that people I suggest my one password for PDFs idea to think it's a good idea and adding your voice to that is appreciated. Perhaps you could tap the folks at Agile Blitz on the shoulder. I suggest it to them myself and some of the staff at Stu and Kelly seem to like the idea. I really just can't get past the fact that one password handles passwords exactly like I like my documents handled. OK, I don't want it to insert my documents in web forms. Oh, I don't know. Mm, think how secure those passwords would be. <laughs> yes. I think I tweeted you earlier, but in case I didn't, you mentioned that the iOS version of 1Password can't sync attachments. I'm happy to inform you that as of version 4, it can. I know our friend Jane, formerly from Perth, told a cautionary tale of this issue in prior versions. I can, at a pinch, use this functionality to store my documents for the time being. But the loading into one password leaves a lot to be desired as each must accompany some native item. The best solution I've found is a secure note which I can then use to tag the item for searching as the built-in search will not search the contents of the attachment. The attachments are clearly designed to be additional collateral and not a core element of the database. Then he goes on to say, I'm loving the recent spate of MacBytes episodes, and I use the word episodes in several meanings. Really? Every, <laughs> <laughs> every time that black cover art gets a number next to it in the podcast app, I tingle with excitement. So, a new show! 
That's Alistair tingling with excitement down under then. I think you mean a new episode. That as well. We're responsible for a few episodes, apparently. Anyway, Alistair, thank you for those kind words. Glad you're enjoying the show. Minster's new running gear. I'll leave you to talk about Yes, this yes. I, that, now, I'm, I'm not being drawn on how I found this because it's on the sun. And I wasn't reading it, honest. No, I've no idea how come I stumbled across this, but I did. Um, but how could I describe this? <clears throat> it's, um, well, actually, they're calling it Inderwear. I think that's a misspelling. <laughs> um, it's um, a G-string for men. Yes, have a think about that. Uh, I'm going to put a link to a picture. It is not safe for work, you've been warned. In fact, it's not safe for uh, work, eating, drinking or anything else, really. So be, do be very, very careful. Um, I sent you the link and you looked at it, but you didn't scroll down, did you? No. But it won't have half the impact if you don't scroll down. You remember? No, but I'll go and have a look. Click click the link and go and have a look. I'll go and have a look. Yes, now. I think if you don't scroll down, it, it ruins the entire thing. Now, the only problem with this uh, new running gear... Who were? ...is um, a practical problem. Uh, we were thinking of adding it to the range of MacBytes gear, but... Um, where are we going to put the logo? Mm, answers on a postcard. It's not really the size of a postcard, is it? <laughs> anyway, yes. No. So, uh, I can't wait to see the picture of Minster modelling uh, said new gear. But anyway, while I leave you with that thought, let's talk about events. Yes, you did. Uh, your podcasting and learning uh, webinar went really well, didn't it? Oh, it did, yes. That was about 10 days ago. Um, yes, if you're a MacBiter, you may well have starred in my uh, podcasting and learning webinar. Uh, I've put a video uh, up of it on the site and there is also uh, the slides available. So um, check it out. You may have starred. Actually, that, that was quite a story. Um you know how you have the best laid plans six weeks beforehand? Yes. And then when it comes to like 48 hours to go, you're all over the place. Mm. Mm. It was one of those things. I had decided I was, it was podcasting and learning. So it's it's not just an A to Z of how to podcast. It was why podcasting would be useful in learning. So I had all of that side of it sorted out, all theoretical stuff. And then I thought, you know what would be good? Actually publishing a show live during the webinar. Nothing like ambition, is there? So um, I thought, well, that's OK. We'll publish a training show episode. And like I say, trying to find enough time to sit down and record a show. Difficult. So it was uh, the morning of the webinar and I had no show. And uh, you'd gone to work. So I decided on a, a short, you know, five minute show talking about it and the fact I was publishing it live. And um, I actually managed to record and edit and publish a show in 17 minutes. Fastest ever episode of anything. So there's no excuse for not having a show next week then, is there? Whoops, I think I've made a monster there. Anyway, on to you. Yeah, well, we've got another webinar coming up next week. This week, actually. Um, Thursday the 16th of May you're doing photo editing on a budget on iOS. Yes I did one last week on photo editing on a budget for Mac and we looked at some great applications. I think there were seven or eight of them wasn't there and the total bill would have been just under £50. Mm. Uh, but some of them were free uh, and I think the most expensive was about £21 which was Acorn. So uh, yes we had such a blast with that we're doing it all again but on iOS and that is uh, Thursday the 16th of May at 8pm UK time and there will be a link in the show notes. And of course don't forget 
It's a MacBytes Live for WWDC, which is just under a month away, isn't it? Oh, the excitement. So that is going to be at the moment, the 10th of June, always assuming they don't move it. And that will be 6pm UK time or 10am Pacific time. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes too. But that's it for this episode of MacBytes. So as always, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments and queries to MacBytesUK at gmail.com. Use the contact form on the website or send us an audio file. How about leaving us a comment on the show notes at MacBytes.co.uk and don't forget to keep sending in your Mac Love Bytes and like us on Facebook. Sign up for the newsletter at MacBytes.co.uk and follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at Twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Good grief. What happened to the MacBite's teeth? In for repair after being overused last time.